This is Carl Hughes with Town Square Media, your host for Issues and Answers. Issues and Answers is a public affairs program for Western Colorado. Residents and members of our community tell us what concerns they have. And from that feedback, we identify significant issues to include in our weekly program. Today, my guest is Anna Stout, the CEO of the Royce Hurst Humane Society. We will be discussing the great work done by Royce Hurst and their motto, More Than a Shelter. Anna, welcome to Issues and Answers. Thanks, Carl. Well, let's start out with all about Anna. Tell <laughs> us a little about yourself and how you came to be with Royce Hurst. I started at the shelter. This week was actually my seven-year anniversary. So I started the shelter seven years ago. Uh, I was recruited to come on a one-year interim contract to just sort of get the place in better shape so that it could be handed off to a permanent executive director. And I immediately saw, A, it was going to take a little longer than a year, and B, there was so much potential at this organization. And when I started seeing that there was more of a relationship between the pets that we were bringing in and adopting out and the people and how the pet adoption impacted the people in our community, I, I just got to a point where I couldn't imagine leaving. You and Royce Hurst chose each other. That's right. Now, I know that you have the professional designation of CAWA, C-A-W-A. I'm a little familiar with that. It's a very prestigious designation in the animal welfare world. Tell us what that designation is. The CAWA designation is the Certified Animal Welfare Administrator, and there are just over about 200 of us uh, around the whole world. And basically, it's a, it's a designation that shows that not only do we know animal welfare well, but we know nonprofits well, we know business well, marketing, best practices um, in a veterinary space, best practices in general for running the highest quality, the highest standard animal welfare organization. So it's something I'm, you know, we take a test to, to get this. It's a pretty tricky test because it covers so many topics, um, you know, ranging from veterinary medicine to uh, generally accepted accounting principles. So there's a lot that we that we learn for this. And then um, we take the test and then it we're this small group of people that have this designation around the country and around the world. Well, and with barely 200 or a little over 200 worldwide for the Royce Hurst Humane Society and this community to have you with that designation is just a uh, it speaks well to who you are and what you bring to the organization. Thank you. Now, more than a shelter is an understatement, in my opinion, when it comes to the Royce Hurst Humane Society. I know there's a lot of different programs and services offered by Royce Hurst. So if we could, let's kind of run down through those, starting with pet adoption. Of course. So this is what animal shelters are known for. This is what I think a lot of people, Royce Hurst has been in this community for uh, many decades. And I think this is what most people sort of default to when they think of the animal shelter. This is the place that I go to adopt a pet. And we absolutely do that. There's just so much more that we do um, that is related to pet health, pet wellness, um, people being well as well. So when you think of, we think about adoption as not just finding pets homes, but actually putting better mental health into human homes, putting better physical health into those homes, reducing isolation. Um, and so a, our pet adoption is absolutely focused on the animals, but with these huge symbiotic benefits for the people who adopt them as well. 
One of the things I know that Royce Hurst offers, and I recently made a donation to, is the pet pantry. Kind of difficult times, inflationary times, after 2020, a little bit of an unsure time. Seems like a pet pantry has got to be a huge blessing to those that need to use it. This is something that has really ticked up ever since the beginning of the pandemic. We've we've had this program where people who are just having a hard time stretching dollars between paychecks or maybe are out of work for a period of time are just having a hard time, especially with things like food. So sometimes it's a leash or a collar or something like that, but primarily we're talking food. And so what we want to make sure of is that nobody is in a situation where they're having to decide between feeding themselves or feeding their pets. They're not in a situation of having to decide to give up their pet because they can't feed it right now, but they they love and are committed to that pet. So the pet pantry is really meant to tie people over until they're able to afford whatever it is they need again. So if somebody wants to donate, do they just contact Royce Hurst for the pet pantry or what's the process? Either you can contact us or you can just come right down to the shelter. We have a shed where people are able to drop off donations um, and you can bring donations of food. You can bring donations of treats. Um, If you have things that uh, we we don't want necessarily to be giving people a bunch of ratty old used things. But if you have relatively new items or new items that would be beneficial to somebody who's going through a hard time, that's absolutely what the pet pantry is for. Another area that you help with crisis boarding. That's right. So this was something we started because we started to see a lot of animals were getting surrendered to our facility by people who were devastated to have to give them up. And they were telling us stories like, hey, I I lost my home. I have to stay with my sister for a little bit and I can't have the pets there. And it's 30 days until I get my house. I have nowhere to be. And so... We we don't want people or another really um, tragic and somewhat common experience is when somebody needs to go into some kind of inpatient situation, whether that's a surgery or some kind of treatment, and they are unwilling to get that care for themselves because they have nowhere for their pets to be. So this short term crisis boarding is very specifically meant to to basically preserve that bond, put the pet in a really safe place where they're getting attention and love and the pet owner can go through whatever they're going through because they're already going through something traumatic. They're already in in crisis mode. We want to make sure that the last thing that they have to worry about is losing their pet and that they are they just have to focus on getting through that crisis and know that their pet's on the other side waiting for them. What a blessing for people that are at a low point in their life to be able to have one less stressor removed. Absolutely. And then that pet becomes part of that healing process because pets are such a big part of our our, our emotional well-being and our, our mental health and everything. So we don't want to compound tragedy with tragedy or crisis with crisis. So if you are already going through something dramatic, we want to keep that, that pet there in place so that, that pet can help you through that when you're on the other side of it. One of the things we're all familiar with if we're responsible pet owners are spays and neuters of our pets. Now, as I understand it, there is some assistance in some programs through Royce Hurst. Is that right? That's right. So this is primarily grant funding that we get um, from the Colorado Pet Overpopulation Fund. And this is really meant to assist people so that they're able to spay and neuter their pets. That makes their pets healthier, uh, extends the life of their pet. It, you know, it, avoid some of the things that um, 
the illnesses or the conditions that they can get as they get older if they're not spayed and neutered. But it also prevents unwanted pets from from being brought into this world that can't be cared for, that might enter a life of suffering. So what's really important to us is that we're making sure that there aren't any barriers or that we're removing as many of those barriers as possible so that people can get their pets fixed. Now, I know in the past you've worked with the Rocky Mountain vet. What's his name? Dr. Jeff. Dr. Jeff. I was going to say that. Dr. <laughs> Jeff, the Rocky Mountain vet, um, to, to do a campaign where you're able to temporarily capture feral cats and spay or neuter them and release them back into their natural environment. Tell us a little bit about that, because that means Royce Hurst was on the Animal Planet channel. Is that right? We were. We were actually on the Animal Planet twice. And we were the season premiere. I can't remember what season it was, but we were the season premiere and we were the top slot, which was really cool because it was just such a compelling story. We, you know, we have these groups that are working together here in this community that are really trying to increase the health and the welfare of of the cats on our streets. Um, We don't have what you would consider like a dog overpopulation problem. You know, if you've ever driven through certain parts of the country, you see these dogs running around on the streets. It's not the case here in our community. It's not the case in most of Colorado. But it is the case with our cats. And there are many, many cats. And when they're born on the streets like that, um, a lot of them are unhealthy. They pass around illnesses. They can um, pose threats to our our you know house cat populations. So our goal is really to prevent suffering. And the best way to do that is to fix these cats so that they're not bringing more cats into the world to suffer. Now, anybody who's ever owned primarily a dog, but I know it happens with the cats too, you will occasionally encounter a stubborn, strong-willed pet who's got some behavioral issues. And Royce Hurst does offer some behavioral assistance. I would assume you also offer that for pets that are going to potentially become adoptable to help them with behavioral issues pre-adoption. That's right. So we have our our in-house adoption program, or a behavior program, sorry, where when an animal comes to us, we make sure that we're providing, we're doing you know, full assessments of what the animal needs to be its most adoptable self. And in some cases, that's medical attention, but in other cases, that is behavioral. So we have an enrichment program, we have behavior programs that we can put our animals in that really help um, train skills in whether those are manners or whether it's confidence, because sometimes those behaviors are really rooted in fearfulness. And that can make, especially dogs that have much more um, damage potential between their jaws, um, that can make, that can be really dangerous. Somebody, an animal that reacts because it's fearful can cause a bite that's not necessarily an aggressive bite. So what we want to do is make sure that we're providing those resources to our pets so that we're sending out pets into the community that we're confident are safe. At the same time, we don't want anyone to, again, when they have that loving bond already established with a pet and they're having struggles, and I've had pets like this where you're just like, oh my goodness, can I keep living with this? Is this something that I can handle for another 10 years? We want to make sure that we're providing resources to help people mitigate that or, you know, just create peace and harmony between the pet and the pet owner so that those behavior issues that are usually correctable if you understand animal behavior and if you understand the motivations of the pet um, and can make often environmental adjustments, um, sometimes it's training adjustments, sometimes it's just setting better boundaries and expectations for the animals, but we can help people work those problems through with their pets so that that pet doesn't have to become a shelter pet if it already has a loving home that's willing to work through that. I think that speaks as well as any of your programs to the more than a shelter 
you know, as an elderly gentleman who's adopted pets over the years, I remember the old shelter models that were basically little doggy jails where this dog was in a loud, noisy, concrete, sterile, caged environment and had to be constantly stressed. And that was a shelter. Absolutely. And it's not, it was also a mentality of give us all your pets. We can do this better. That was, that was really the shelter workers mentality for many, many decades that if you were having any issues with your pet, that reflected on you as a bad pet owner. So you should give us these pets. And we are, we really work hard um, to approach every situation with empathy. Default empathy is one of our mottos where we make sure that when somebody comes to us needing help, it's not a reflection of them as a bad pet owner, but it's we try to put ourselves in their place and understand the struggle that they're going through, whether it's frustration or whether it's a lack of knowledge or um, whether it's a lack of resources. So that's the shelter used to be sort of this, you know, this gathering place. Just let us gather up all the pets put them in these cages, and then we'll find them better homes. And that is changing. The shelter environment is really um, a much more peaceful place. We're not, you know, we we work really hard not to just put a ton of animals in a building that are going to be all stressed out next to each other. Um, but the shelter environment is a pleasant place. And when you're encountering a shelter worker in our organization, you're going to be met with somebody who's approaching you with empathy and not judgment. Royce Hurst is obviously a leader in this type of uh, model for the new paradigm of an animal shelter. How about other shelters across the country? I know you're not working for them, but you are connected in the animal welfare community. Are other shelters making this shift and this change too? And are they doing it quickly or are some slow to make the change? What's happening? That's a really great question. And I think to really illustrate how Royce Hurst has been a leader um, at a national level, we were one of the first shelters in the entire country to recognize that many of the problems that we have are not animal problems, they're people problems. So we hired a social worker. We did this five or six years ago where we recognized that if we have somebody on staff who's helping solve the people problems that are preventing people from keeping their pets or adopting their pets or taking the best care of their pets, we can actually do better work for the pets. So what we're seeing is that we were one of the first shelters to really start this conversation and to really kind of push this idea. Then when the pandemic hit, it was a major accelerator. It led to so many, because we we couldn't use the same model we had already, you know, we had all grown used to. And so people had to start providing outward facing services, whether that was the pet pantry services or um, behavior services, really focusing on moving fostering out into the community in in much larger numbers. So the rest of the country, we're watching a lot of, there's a whole movement called um, human, it's HAS, Human Animal Support Services, I think is what that acronym stands for. And so it's it's really a industry-wide mentality shift that we need to support the humans if we're going to really support the animals. So we are seeing it happen and much more quickly now that the pandemic hit, but there's still resistance because when this has been done for decades like this, if not longer, it's really hard to to wrap your head around that because it's hard to release this sense of responsibility for the pet. And I think a lot of people who work in animal welfare do it because they have this extreme commitment to pets 
And when you start focusing on the person, it does start to feel like, well, what about, am I not taking the best care of the pet? But we genuinely believe that people who love those pets are going to provide the best care if they're given the resources. And the ultimate recipient of all of that care is the pet. Exactly. For those that are just joining us, my name is Carl Hughes with Town Square Media, and you are listening to Issues and Answers. Today, happily, we're visiting with Anna Stout, the CEO of the Royce Hearst Humane Society, and all of the great work they do, plus their motto and what they're celebrating this month, Royce Hearst, more than a shelter. You mentioned fostering, so let's move to that. I know that was a one of the positives that came out of the pandemic. So tell us about the foster program and, and then a little bit about volunteering as well. Absolutely. What's amazing about the idea of fostering is that whatever our physical capacity limitations are within our four walls of the shelter, that stops mattering. If we have homes outside of the four walls of the shelter in the community, they're willing to receive pets. So now we're not limited in a capacity sense to the number of animals we can squeeze into our shelter, which again is not the best thing for the animals, but we're able to expand our capacity tremendously by the number of people who are willing to let pets temporarily enter their homes until they find those forever homes. The pandemic, of course, was a huge um, spur of this because we were worried. We were worried individually, but the whole industry recognized this, that if we're in the middle of a pandemic and we have so many employees and they all get sick, who cares for the animals? And so what we wanted to do is make sure, too, that we had enough space at the shelter since we didn't know what was to come. We didn't know how hard the pandemic was going to hit our community and in what ways and how much of that would be financial or, you know, if we were going to have a bunch of, um, you know, illnesses or death. And so we wanted to make sure we had space in the shelter to accommodate any emergencies that needed to be accommodated. So we, we did a huge push to expand our foster program and get a lot of our, not just our neonatal kittens and puppies and not just our, our medical cases that needed to be in an environment where they were receiving more frequent care than they can get in the shelter, which was kind of the traditional fostering program. But instead we said, hey, every single one of these animals that's adoptable is also fosterable in that case. And so we moved as many animals as we could at the very, those. I think the first week or two of the pandemic, we did a huge push and the community responded incredibly. And we've continued that model. We still have animals in the shelter, of course, but what we're able to do is put more animals in the shelter that need our staff's expertise on a daily basis and not necessarily the ones that just need, um, you know, the a minimal level of care. They're great. They need walked in and socialized and fed. So those animals can now go into homes. We know their personalities better while they're in homes than than they're than they are in a shelter. You just behave differently in that environment. We know um, a lot more about their personalities. Do they do well with kids? Do they do, do, they do well with other animals? Um, so that fostering uh, program, that fostering shift is not just better for us from a capacity standpoint. It's not just better for us because it allows us to put more attention on site um, on these more complex cases, but it also is just a better environment for the pets and it helps us find better fits for those homes because we know so much more about the pets. It almost feels like the comparison of an orphanage versus a foster system, you know, with homes in the community. Absolutely. It's it's pretty darn parallel when you think about the benefits that come from being in an institution, which is the shelter, versus being in a loving home. Have you run into any issues where you have separation sadness from the foster families when they have to say goodbye to these temporary furry borders? 
so as a foster myself, I can say that, yes, there's always sadness, but it's um, when you walk into fostering with the mentality of, I'm not this animal's forever. I don't have to own this animal for this animal to have a good life, but I can serve a purpose in this animal's life. I can be a paver along their path. Then, And you have control then over um, where it goes because we encourage our fosters to help find those adoptive homes. So a lot of our fosters have a, even a, a, a better sense of kind of peace when that animal goes into its forever home because it's not just that they're bringing it back to the shelter and then have no idea what happens to it, but rather they're they're instrumental in finding those homes in many cases and of course i'll add that we have a number of foster successes we like to call them not foster fails um, where people foster the pet and then at some point realize now this this pet belongs here at my home this pet has become a part of our home a part of our routine it's not going anywhere so we have that happen but really i have two kittens right now that are there they just got fixed this week and they're ready for their their forever homes and it is bittersweet because I have fallen in love with these kitties but I also know that I've raised the best cats that I can to go make somebody else's life even more enriched and fill that empty hole that can only be filled by a pet that's right so with the shift to fostering and fewer pets being kept at the shelter has your need for volunteers and the total number of people to volunteer at the shelter dropped? Because obviously the fosters are volunteers. But talk a little bit about the volunteer program, where it's at today, you know, post-pandemic, and what's going on with that. Yeah, that's a really great question because there's definitely a difference in the the needs that we have now from a volunteer perspective than what we had pre-pandemic. When we had a lot more of what we consider like the highly adoptables in the shelter, we had a lot more need for, for people to just come down and walk really easy dogs or, you know, use a, a feather toy with, with the cats and, and do some enrichment with them. Um, we still have animals on site and we still have need for people to come and work with the animals, whether that's walking dogs or, or um, other but we also do a lot. We have a lot of medical needs. So people who are interested in volunteering and you don't have to have medical experience for this, but we do spay and neuter on site. Um, we do vaccine clinics on site. And so people who are willing to come in and just sit with an animal while it recovers from anesthesia uh, or people who are willing to come in who are really good with just kind of systems and want to come in and wash instruments and wrap packs and get those ready for the surgeons. We have needs like that. We always have our sort of miscellaneous needs, whether that's coming in and helping with cleaning or helping with our facilities and our yard. Um, there's There are plenty of volunteer opportunities, but what the pandemic has done is shifted many of the volunteer opportunities into people's homes. So we definitely still have on-site needs um, that have shifted a little, but there's still we still have plenty of work for our volunteers to do there. But a lot of people who hadn't thought about volunteering on-site are now doing that from the comfort of their own home. So a person who might be interested in becoming a foster or and or becoming a volunteer, is the best way to do that through the website? Absolutely. RHHumaneSociety.org is our website. Or they can call down um, for somebody who prefers the traditional human-to-human connection. And our phone number is 970-434-7337. Another thing I saw in the list of all of the amazing programs that you offer is... The Animal Resource Center. 
What does that entail? So the Animal Resource Center is essentially the umbrella of all of these programs or most of these programs that we've been talking about. This is that position. The Animal Resource Center coordinator is the position I mentioned earlier that's essentially our human social worker um, within the animal shelter. And so this is our short-term boarding program, our pet pantry, our behavior counseling, and all of that. Anything that is geared towards providing resources outwards into the community versus what we provide internally to our shelter pets, that would fall under that umbrella. I kind of saved the best for last on this list because it's a program that I've um, seen come to fruition working with the local homeless shelter, Homeward Bound, and through a grant from uh, a very wonderful charity. You now have Homeward Hounds. Tell us about that. (laughs) Homeward Hounds is a really exciting new program. And it was funded primarily by PetSmart Charities. And what's really incredible about that fact right there is that this is these are human housing, human shelters. And a pet charity funded shelter or housing for people. And that's the first time this has been done. PetSmart deserves a lot of credit for being very visionary um, in understanding how we best care for pets, and that's by caring for the people who care for pets. So what uh, this was a collaboration between Homeward Bound and Royce Hurst, as you said, and we reached out to them when we had, we were looking at a grant cycle and trying to figure out what to write a grant for, found out that it was meant to be a large grant and it was meant to be a, a multi-year innovative program. And we kind of put our heads together and thought, what about this? So these are, they're called pallet shelters and they are individual shelters. They're not tiny homes because they're not plumbed. They're not, you know, but they have air conditioning, heaters, beds that, two beds that fold down. The ones that we purchased are 84, or sorry, 64 square feet. They're eight by eight shelters. And nine of them have been installed. There were originally 10, but for building code reasons, we had to move one away from um, that site. But there are nine individual shelters that are part of Homeward Bound, the human homeless shelter. So it's in the parking lot area, but within their secured fenced area um, that people are able to stay in when they're experiencing homelessness with their pets. Pets are one of the major barriers when somebody is experiencing homelessness to actually getting into a shelter. They're not allowed in in almost any shelter across the nation because most of them are congregate settings. And it's it's there's a safety issue, there's there are health concerns, there are allergy concerns. So pets can't generally go into shelters with their their humans. So then the human is faced with the decision of do I do I give up my pets so that I can shelter myself, which for some people is an untenable thought, or do I figure out what to do and I stay on the streets so I don't lose this pet? And we at, want at 20 to take, degrees below zero. Exactly. And we want to take that heart-rending decision away from them and provide this opportunity to be sheltered privately with your pets. And I would assume that because Homeward Bound has a screening process and rules and is a wonderfully organized organization, these also have the same type of thing so that, you know, you need to check in and there's a whole process for this. That's exactly right. So the, the, the guests who stay in Homeward Hounds are part of the general program. They follow the exact same rules as everybody else. Um, they have the same intake rules. They have the same um, cleaning rules and everything else. It's an extension of the general sheltering program at Homeward Bound. And so it's a really amazing program because... 
Um, it's, you know, it's not separate from all the work that they're doing. And when people come into these shelters, they have access to all of the same resources that often are what get people into more permanent housing or give them health resources or give them mental health resources. So just being able to enter into Homeward Hounds programming because we're allowing and accommodating for those pets may be the difference between somebody being able to find permanent housing or not. One other thing I would like to touch on before we're done here. I know that Royce Hurst has stepped in and helped with the shelter that's in Delta. And how did that come about and what's happening with that? The city of Delta reached out to me at the end of 2019. Um, They were having some issues and really wanted to provide a really high quality um, animal shelter service to the community. And um, I'm not sure exactly (laughs) why they thought of us, but reached out and said, would you be interested in taking on this contract? So the building is owned by the city of Delta. Um, There's an animal control officer who is part of the police department. And essentially what we are doing there, we we took on the sheltering contract for both the city of Delta and Delta County. And essentially we staff that location so that any animals that are found abandoned or running around as strays or are found in situations of neglect or abuse, we do the sheltering there. So it's not an adoption facility. The, The building is really not set up for that at all. But it's a it's a holding facility, and our goal there obviously is to well, I hope it's obvious is to reunite reunite people with their pets, and for animals that are unclaimed and and do not have a person to reclaim them, we want to make sure that we get them into our adoption program here and find them great homes. Royce Hurst, not just benefiting the local community in Mesa County, but Delta County as well. So thank you for all of that. I would like to thank my guest today, Anna Stout, the CEO of the Royce Hurst Humane Society, and just a ton of wonderful information about all the good work going on at Royce Hurst. Anna, thank you for coming in. Thank you for having me, Carl. This has been Issues and Answers from Town Square Media. If you would like to suggest a topic for our weekly program, simply open our station app and hit the app chat feature to send us a note about an issue you would like to hear discussed on Issues and Answers. You can also reach us by phone by dialing 970-242-7788. I'm Carl Hughes. Join us next week for another round of Issues and Answers with Town Square Media.